Let us pray. God, our provider, we walked into church today needing you in different ways. Some of us need strength because we are facing a big challenge. Some of us need hope because we feel like giving up. Some of us need love because we are feeling alone. God, we trust that you will provide for us, whether through words or music or action or acting or in the quiet moment of our reflection. And as we become present in this moment to your word, you remind us that you are here and that you are with us. Amen. As part of our message today and in preparation for the weeks to come, because the first Sunday of Lent is a journey, and today is the first step in that journey, I just wanted to to go back in time a little bit to reflect on some things that we've touched on a little bit, but something that I hope that we will deepen as we walk forward into Lent. And the first thing I just wanted to bring to our minds is the idea that I introduced some time ago of embedded theology and deliberate or intentional theology. Do any of you remember or do you intuitively kind of get a sense of what embedded theology might mean? Something that's deeper? Mm -hmm. Yes, Gerilyn. Exactly. You nailed it. So something that we learned from our parents in our childhood that we took in and that uh, we taught and maybe haven't examined at all, but it's something that we hold in our hearts and it's a place where we operate from. What might deliberate or intentional theology be? What, so there's an, so some people use the term deliberate theology. Some people use the word intentional theology. So what, Lauren, or and, Teresa? I beg your pardon, Lorena. Someone's interpretation of something. That's a, that is a, a, yes, that is part of it. And Tracy. That is also nailed. The uh, seeking out understanding of why you believe what you believe. The seeking out of why you believe what you believe. Mark. And critical thinking. Yep. It's in, right. So, so you both, uh, Mark and Tracy and Lorraine, uh, touched on sort of the intellectual part, the part that we reflect, we become self-aware of what we believe and where it came from, and that may open up opportunities to reflect further, uh, to learn new things, to take in new things. But there's also an embodied aspect to embedded theology. So all of us come to church with our embodied theology, literally embedded and embodied. How we do worship, how we do our spiritual practices is embodied. When we learn new spiritual practices, that is also a deliberate uh, or intentional theology as well. And then the next thing I wanted to uh, touch on is the difference between theology or spiritual and religious development. So we've touched on embedded theology and deliberate or intentional theology. 
Now, how about spiritual and religious development? What does spiritual development mean to you? Go ahead, Mark. Yes, sometimes that's true. That is one aspect of religious. Yep. It can. So we're going to tease that out. That's beautiful. That's a great starting point. So we're going to explore that and expand that a little bit too. Um, so let me, Jean, sorry, I missed your hand. Right. So uh, what Mark pointed out was some differences between spiritual and, re- and religious development. And I see you, Jerry. Uh, and then what Jean pointed out was some of the similarities that spiritual and religious development are intertwined. And we'll go back to what you said, too. And then, Jerry, and then I'm going to talk some more myself. Go ahead. Um, I kind of describe it as the aha. The aha moment is spiritual development beautiful. I love that. So, uh, aha, like being hit by the spirit, having insight, um, is a, is also a spiritual, those, those open ours, open us to growth, maybe to divinity and can be aha moments that, that lead us into growth. So, uh, from a Christian perspective, spiritual development guides us in growth in the spiritual fruits that St. Paul talked about. And I'm just going to name those. So the fruits of the spirit, of spiritual development, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruits of the spirit from a Christian perspective. So when we are cultivating our spirits, We are cultivating the fruits of the Spirit. We are cultivating these qualities in ourselves. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Are there any other things you would add to the fruits of the Spirit there? Charlie. Hope. Beautiful. A fruit of the Spirit. Gratitude is a big one. Any others that we might have left out or St. Paul might have missed? I beg your pardon? Did I miss one? There are many wonderful qualities, and, and, and we've lifted up a, a number of them here. So when people, from a spiritual perspective, what kinds of practices do people use in today's world to cultivate these qualities in ourselves? Meditation. So it could be Zen meditation. It could be centering prayer from the Christian tradition. Meditation is one. What other spiritual practices do people use to cultivate these qualities? Reading, beautiful. What are we doing today? Right now, worshiping in community. How about other, other spiritual practices? Praying, helping other people, music that uh, um, Ruth lifts us up in and our choir celebrates with us. 
Other people use exercise to cultivate these qualities because they, through exercise, they release tension and anger and cultivate kindness and gentleness, a fruit of the spirit. <clears throat> Does that make sense so far? Cool. Just want to make sure we're, we're tracking. Now, how about religious development? And this kind of gets to uh, what Mark and Jean touched on. Um, what is religious development? Go ahead, Melissa. Yeah. So religious, that's really well said. Sort of the, the reflection, going back to, I guess, the, the sort of the, the thoughtful, the intellectual part of religious development. And I, yes, so when we think about embodied and deliberate theology, religious development goes exactly to those things, to reflecting on, on the theologies that we have that we might take for granted or, or just assume, and sort of unpacking them and looking at them in deeper ways. So theolo- theological development and happens both socially, it has happened historically. So for instance, I'm going to talk about Athanasius, who is a third century church father who had some theological ideas. And um, so the church, so religious development happens over time and changes over time, but it also changes for us over time. We develop religiously as we grow in our faith and, um, and, and, and explore our faith and understand our traditions, value our traditions, change our traditions. That is religious development. And when we cultivate our spiritual development, grow in those fruits of the Spirit, it helps us prepare for our religious development as well. And these are things that are part of our purpose as a Christian community, to grow spiritually, but also to grow religiously as well. Have I made sense so far? More or less? Cool. All right, so we're going to be exploring. The reason I spent some time on them today is because we're going to be exploring these as we journey through Lent. And the reason why I feel it's so important as we begin our journey of Lent is because Jesus modeled spiritual and religious development for us, just as our story lifted up today. And uh, we, as we read gospel, as we read the stories, it's helpful to reflect on how we see him developing both spiritually and religiously. So in speaking for myself here, my understanding of Jesus is that his mission— or his purpose for being in the world, was to bring us closer to God. To bring us closer to God so that we could experience God's love in our lives as people, the fullness, the undyingness, the um, unconditionalness of that love, and in experiencing that love so that we could live into the kingdom of heaven in the here and now, in this moment so that we could build the beloved community like Martin Luther King spoke of. And why is this important? So while I was reflecting on this wonderful play, The Paralytic, I went back earlier this week and I watched the movie Patch Adams from the 90s with Robin Williams in it. How many of you are familiar? Good, most of you are familiar. So for those of you who have not seen it, Robin Williams, of course, one of our great late comedians, Uh, was a doctor. He played the role of Patch Adams. 
But the movie starts where he is, uh, he has checked himself into a psychiatric hospital because he's had some suicidal thoughts. And when he's there, he encounters a very rule-bound culture. Um, this would have been in the 60s. And um, found that the doctors weren't helping him. But he had an aha moment, Jerry, <laughs> it, with his roommate in the middle of the night. And his roommate couldn't get to the bathroom because his roommate was afraid of the squirrels who were going to attack him on the way. And uh, the uh, hunter, Adams, at the time his name was, he uh, helped his roommate get to the bathroom by pretending that he too could see the squirrels. So in the film, they have this great battle with the squirrels and they, they take the squirrels out and his roommate gets to the bathroom and they have a good night's sleep, which is what Patch Adams really needed, what they both needed. Because of that experience, that aha moment in the movie, Patch Adams goes to the doctor in the morning. He says, you know, I'm going to check myself out. And the doctor says, no, you're not. And Patch Adams says, I am. I check myself in. I can check myself out. And so against medical advice, he does check himself out, and he goes to medical school. He does become a doctor. But the whole time as a medical student, he is just wreaking havoc in the medical institution. And why is he doing this? He's doing it because he experienced in his connection with his roommate in the psychiatric hospital a healing moment, aha moment, where uh, someone experienced transformation. And so here he is in the 60s in the medical establishment saying, hey, we need to see our patients as whole people, not just their symptom or their disease, but their wholeness. And he uses humor. He puts on a, remember the little clowns and nose, and he goes into the children's ward and, and the hard cases rooms, the folks who are dying, and he makes them laugh. And it makes them more open to treatment helps them through their suffering. And he he's experiences this transformation. So the adventure continues, but the basic upshot is that when he uh, eventually, during medical school and afterwards, he established, he had this vision of a free clinic where the people who attend, who come to this house for medical treatment, also help to treat each other. So he trained the folks who were there to dress each other's wounds to take part in the medical treatment, and it's a completely novel idea. And um, that uh, has grown into what's called the Gesundheit Institute. So now medical students come and intern with Patch Adams and learn how to see their patients as whole people, to imagine a world where free healthcare exists for everybody, and where the miracles of healing are not for a select few, but really as available to all of us as possible, given our, our medicine that we have today. But also the miracles of laughter, of connection, of all the other fruits of healing that are available to us. And I see that in our story, The Paralytic, today, where Jesus offers healing, you know, his, his the nutcases who heal passage there, our you know, our paralytic's friends, they pulled him up on the roof, opened the tiles, lowered him down, and they broke all the rules to make sure that their friend had an opportunity to experience life and light. And so sometimes it is the nutcases among us who not only buoy us up in community, but lead the way 
So I feel Patch Adams is one of those visionaries. And during Lent, why is this relevant to us? Why are these ideas of healing and our theology, our embedded theologies, our deliberate theologies, what, what do they have to do with healing? So for me, when I think of our Christian theology, one of the things that I encounter as problematic is that for so many of us, it is the saving death of Jesus that is the core of our faith, but has been the core focus of our faith for a long time. And it hasn't always been that way. For almost half of Christian history, for the first thousand years, Jesus on the cross, the crucified Jesus, was not the focus of early Christian community. It was the resurrected Jesus that was the focus. That is where our worship and our praise and our aspirations were contained. And uh, Rita Brock, in her book, Saving Paradise, she says, Nowhere in Asia, Africa, or Europe, not in simple house churches, monastery churches, or grand imperial cathedrals, not for 900 years is Jesus found crucified. Rather, she says, that in Christian churches from the 3rd to the 11th century, in all of the iconography, in the murals, in the paintings, in the early churches, it is paradise that is revealed. The garden, Jesus resurrected, abundant life, and that that is what we are called into. That's where we are called to focus our attention, why we develop our spiritual gifts, our spiritual fruits. And along those lines, I wanted to introduce the concept of theosis. Have you heard this idea before? Theosis? It is becoming godlike. I mentioned I would talk about Athanasius, the third century church father. He, in his theology, he said, God becomes human so that we might become God. God becomes human so that we might become God. And so for me, during Lent, when I think of Jesus, I think of Jesus becoming human, as God becoming human, not to take suffering away, but so that God can be in deeper relationship with us in our sufferings, in our deep theology, in our embedded theologies, in the theologies over the, that's evolved over the centuries. We've come to believe that Jesus became God that God became man, became a human being. And that in that, there is this possibility for real seeing each other, that Jesus saw us in our suffering, that Jesus as God understood suffering in the most profound and most awful ways, so that nothing is foreign to God. Nothing in our suffering is foreign to God. God knows it completely. And therefore, there is nothing separating us from God because God can be with us in our deepest sorrows and in our deepest hurts and our deepest losses and our regrets. That God is there with us, standing there, always beside us, and inviting us into those hurt places as well. 
where God dwells with us in our most vulnerable, hurt, wounded places. And in that part of us, we meet God too. And from there, through God's accompaniment, through knowing that God is fully with us in those moments, we can begin to understand our own transformation because we are loved in those places too. And in those places, God and Jesus beckon us to healing. God says, Jesus says, take up the wheelchair and walk. And people sing and praise. But what might that mean in today's world? For Patch Adams, it meant that if we're just using metaphors, whether it's the stretcher and scripture and Mark's gospel, or we modify that metaphor into a wheelchair today. If we use the wheelchair as the metaphor, perhaps we can look at Patch Adams' depression as the stretcher or the wheelchair, the thing that was keeping him bound. And then when he had his ha-ha moment of spiritual growth and he decided that he was going to go to medical school and help transform lives and transform his own in the process. Perhaps that is the miracle of healing, of his growth, so that, in a sense, he took up his wheelchair of depression and he walked. And it was a journey. It It was a decision he made. He made a choice, but he had to keep making that choice every day, maybe every hour of every day at first. And then there might have been hours when he realized he didn't have to make that choice so consciously all the time. So during Lent, we are invited into this opportunity to reflect on those places where God is with us in our most wounded selves and really deepen into what God is calling us to right now in our lives and where God is holding out God's arms and saying, step here, just maybe a baby step into letting go of a regret or a hurt or a way of being that has held us back. Be just tiny, but to take courage that God is with us when we take that step and to know that in doing it for ourselves, when we do this for ourselves, we bring healing to the world around us too. We expand the miracle, and we expand the kingdom. And it is not a small thing. Those baby steps are miracles in and of themselves. So as we journey through Lent, what is your wheelchair or stretcher? And how do you, during these weeks, as we look to Easter and the resurrection and abundant life and the promise that that is why God became human to walk with us, how are we going to respond? How are we going to grow in that relationship? May we find courage and strength knowing that the Spirit is with us to take those steps to transform our lives and therefore transform our world and grow into the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.